0: Said this this morning in the first service that uh, I just feel so filled with joy today just feel just I don't know what it is but it's obviously God's presence and just maybe this season of fasting that just coming into church today just feeling joyful and usually it's uh, on a morning that I'm preaching I'm coming in stressed to the max and so it's a nice change for that that I feel like I can just ease in enjoy the presence of the Lord and enjoy his joy that he's pouring in and And uh, um, it's been a great last week in this season of fasting for all those that are joining in. Um, I've heard testimonies and I've seen people pressing in to the Lord. Um, Throughout this last week, we've had some powerful prayer meetings Tuesday night for those that were out. As Pastor Paul had mentioned, we had over 100 people there. And it it certainly wasn't about just the fact that there was 100 people there. It was about really like just the heart of intercession and, and the worship that was happening at prayer, It was so powerful, and we've had some great mornings of prayer here. We had prayer meetings um, in the upper room on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings. We had a team from YWAM Niagara that was here joining us in that, so I had some beautiful times of prayer. Uh, Friday night after our young adult service, we, we had a, a prayer meeting after the service uh, until midnight on Friday night, and it was powerful just seeking the Lord and um, just excited for what God is doing in this season. Amen. Like, not just corporately, which he is doing things corporately, but individually as well. And that's really really where it starts. It starts with every single one of us taking hold of this call to consecrate ourselves before God in prayer and fasting. And, and, and we really can't miss this whole prayer piece of fasting and prayer. You know, we, we can get so focused on the not eating part or the not being on social media part or the not this or, or that that, you know, we can kind of just slide into thinking, okay, this is, I'm doing my part and I'm, and I'm doing this. And, and we know that there's power in fasting, but it's to bring us to that place of consecration before God that we seek him and that we, we believe for things and that we contend and we pray. And, uh, and I'm just excited for what's got, what God's going to do in the, this next season to come. Because really throughout this time, I believe that God is going to bring fresh faith to us as individuals and corporately as well. Fresh faith. And speaking about fasting, how many people like Krispy Kreme donuts? I don't want to cause anybody to stumble this morning to talk about this. We, we unfortunately do not have Krispy Kreme donuts here in the Maritimes. You know, we, we all kind of just wait for that time when there's like a missions trip or some sort of like a fundraiser that's happening, right, that we can order like 20 boxes and put them in our freezer and save them for, you know, the whole year. Right. But if you go down to the States, obviously it's a huge thing in the States, but they have this kind of like trademark thing. They have this sign um, outside of the store that says hot and new. Now, the thing is, is that when the sign is on, it means they have a fresh batch of donuts. And if you know these donuts, they're best when they are fresh. And so this sign, when it's lit up, people are just like, it's like, you know, like a bug zapper, like bugs just going to this bug zapper, just being like sucked into this thing, right? The sign goes on, it's neon and everything, and people are just like, ah, donuts, and they go to it. And, you know, there's just something about freshness. It draws us in, it's attractive, Maybe you even came in this morning and you're a coffee lover and you smelt the fresh coffee and, you, you know, you walk through the front doors heading towards the sanctuary and all of a sudden you got a whiff of that fresh coffee and you're just like autopilot right towards the coffee station. You know, you go, you go by a bakery and you smell that, that scent of fresh bread. I'm really causing people to stumble this morning that are fasting. I'm sorry. I'm causing myself to stumble right now. Oh, man. But isn't it true? There's just something about freshness. It draws us in. It attracts us. And you know, the opposite, something that's stale, it doesn't quite work the way that it's supposed to, right? It doesn't mean that it doesn't work at all. It just doesn't work to the same effectiveness as something that's fresh. And in the same way, in our faith, when our faith is fresh, it's attractive, there's something about it. There's a vibrancy to it. There's a glow to it. There's, there's just there's power in it when our faith is fresh. And this is why so often when people first come to the Lord, when they're new believers, sometimes they're the best evangelists. Because it's fresh and people see it, they're attracted to it. And, and it's so easy when God has just done this in your life and you've never experienced this before that you just want to tell the world, you want to tell everybody. And even before you open your mouth, they just see something different on you. It's attractive. So here's a few things that fresh faith is. Number one, it's contagious. We've already kind of said this. It's contagious. You see it and you want that. You see it and you want it. Somebody can walk into a room and you just know, like, I want what that person has. And it can just spread through a whole group of people like wildfire. Number two, it's culture breaking. And what I mean by that is that it has the ability to shift the atmosphere, to shift a culture. You know, there's cultures, you can use that term to um, ascribe it to many different things. You know, we have culture here in Canada, obviously. We have a culture here in our church. You have a culture in your friend group. You have a culture at work and all of these different places. But see, when fresh, when faith is fresh, it can come in and it can transform that and change it. Because, you know, if, if you go into a church setting or you go into a prayer meeting, you go into a, a, somewhere with a group of believers and you're just like, oh man, this is, this is dead. Like, God, are you here? Like, what's going on here? And you think to yourself, like, oh, I guess this is just a a dead prayer meeting. Well, I guess I'll just kind of pray a little bit and I'll, I'll bounce, whatever. But no, if you go in with fresh faith, you can actually change that culture. You can actually change that atmosphere. And so as believers, that's why it's so important for us as individuals to take hold of this because we, just one person, can shift things can break cultures. And number three, and this is an obvious one, we've spoken to it, it is powerful. But it's powerful not just in the sense of, in the natural and what we see, but it's powerful in the supernatural. Fresh faith has power in the supernatural. Things that we can't even see, that we don't even know. It changes things, again, not just in the atmosphere that we can see and we can visually um, see before us, but actually in the spirit realm, there's power. There's power. And you know, it's hard when you've been walking with the Lord for many years. It's hard sometimes to get back to this place of fresh faith. Because you're comfortable, you know the routine. It doesn't mean that you don't love Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're not still growing to a certain extent. It doesn't mean that the Lord still, you know, isn't showing you things and that you're not honoring him. It doesn't mean any of that. But the effectiveness of your witness, the effectiveness of your life is restricted. But the good news is, is that it doesn't matter how long you've been following the Lord, you can have fresh faith every single day. You can have fresh faith every day, regardless of what your season is, what it looks like, what you've been going through. You can have fresh faith. We're going to look at Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28 this morning. And this is the story of the Canaanite woman. Powerful story, and if you have your Bible, feel free to turn there. We'll have it on the screen as well. But this is what it says, starting in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, the Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, "'Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David!' My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, "O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So in this passage, Jesus withdraws to the region of Phoenicia, Tyre and Sidon, to this area. And this is a, a, a Gentile area, a non-Jewish area, and chances are he probably withdrew to this place because just before that, the Jewish leaders were, were really on him, and he was in debate with them, and, and uh, they were really kind of coming down on him. So there's a good chance that he withdrew to this area just to get some time of rest and maybe to spend some time teaching his disciples and having some, some more intimate time with them. So he withdraws to this area, and this woman comes up to him. Now this area, um, it's important to understand that the Phoenician people historically had really been enemies of Israel. It's actually the region where Queen Jezebel was from. So it's a Gentile area, a non-Jewish area. And now before I get into my my main point on this text, um, I want to address kind of an elephant in the room to this, because I'm sure if you've read this before, you've probably been like, man, what is Jesus saying? Or if this is the first time you've heard it, you're probably thinking that right now. Like, Jesus, what are you saying? You just called this woman a dog. Like, are you being racist? Are you being sexist? Like, what, what is going on here, right? It seems pretty intense, the language that he uses here. Now, in order to understand kind of what he's saying, we have to kind of understand God's plan of salvation, and, and kind of how God intended for that to play out. Because, see, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, were God's chosen people. The chosen people in whom God would use to bring about salvation. And, of course, we know that as Jesus is Jewish. Jesus was a Jewish man, and he was a descendant of the line of David. And so God chose Israel to, to use them... Um, in his plan of salvation. And now, of course, we know that it didn't stop at that point because, you know, we have the rest of the story on from this point that the gospel message went to the Gentiles. And of course, that is who we are. We are Gentiles. We are non-Jewish people. So we know that it didn't start there. But we have to understand that Jesus was very deliberate in how he revealed himself and how he revealed the fullness of of the plan of salvation, there was a process to it. And you can imagine in this time, and as I had mentioned, like Jesus had just come from a time where the Jewish leaders were were really coming down on him. They were really debating with him. And at this point in time, if he had started to preach to the Gentiles and include them in this whole thing, like very outwardly, there would have been even more chaos. There would have been even more things that would have gone on that would have interrupted the plan of salvation that God was fulfilling, that he was bringing forward. So we need to understand, and and we know this because we have the rest of the story, is that Jesus is simply making this distinction between Jew and Gentile. He's basically saying that the time has not yet come for the Gentiles to partake in the message, but he's not saying that they never will. And I'll also mention, too, because this word dog is very intense. And, you know, we can think of, you know, you know a filthy animal and all this stuff. And, and in reality, there's a couple different ways that that word, when it's used in our English translation, uh, there's a couple different Greek words that are used for that word. So when we think about, you know, verses like as a dog returns to its vomit, which is a little gross and intense, That's actually a different word than what Jesus is using in this time. The word that he's using could be more more appropriately translated as like a pet, as a pet. So not necessarily equal to the Jewish people in that sense, but still something that he cares for, that he cherishes. So just to help us walk through this a little bit so we're not stuck the whole time that I'm continue to preach on, man, Jesus called this woman a dog. I just wanted to bring clarity around that. So we have this woman, and she comes, and she's crying out to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Look at verse 23. But he did not answer her a word. He did not answer her a word. Can you relate with that this morning? That you've come to Jesus, you've come in prayer, you've come into his presence, you've come to church, and you would just say, where is he? I can't feel him. I can't hear him. Maybe you've gone into the prayer closet, you've sat down to pray and You've ended up just thinking, why am I even wasting my time? I just can't connect. Or you've opened up your Bible and you've been reading and it just feels like it's going in one ear and out the other. You've came into a worship service and and you just can't seem to feel his presence. And you think he's responding in the same way, not answering what it is that you're crying out for. And I'm not just talking in the, the desperate situations like she's in. I'm talking in the just everyday of Being a believer, walking with him, and just not feeling his presence or thinking that he's there or hearing him speak. But the tragic thing in this is that oftentimes that's where it ends for us. That's where it ends. We go for prayer and we don't get the sense that he's even listening and we say, okay, well, what's the point? Why do we even bother? And this is so important in this season of fasting Right? You're going through hunger pains if you're if you're fasting food and thinking, isn't it supposed to work that because God I'm honoring you and I'm doing this for you, that you're just supposed to take all of this pain away? Like, isn't that supposed to be how it works? And of course we know it doesn't, but he gives us grace in the process. But so often we stop short of breakthrough, not realizing that there's actually things going on behind the scenes that we don't realize. Because here's the thing, when we do things by faith, we do them in the supernatural, not the natural. And things in the supernatural are not always seen or felt by our senses. You know, we can see the manifestation of the supernatural sometimes and in different ways, but if we don't, that doesn't mean it's not happening. Just because we don't see something or feel something doesn't mean that God isn't working. And so we ought to press on and press in believing that he is working. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So she comes to him in faith. She gets no response. And then even, it says that the disciples... We're trying to get rid of her too. So can you relate with that also? Not only do you feel like you cannot connect with God and he doesn't hear you, but also you have people around you that are resisting. So not only do you feel like God is resisting you, but you feel like the people around you are not helping the cause that they are resisting you. Maybe you're in a place where people are criticizing your faith and you feel like there's just this resistance. Maybe it's your friends that are believers and you just feel like there's not that same amount of accountability or desire to go after God. And, or maybe you say things that are a little bit more radical when it comes to your faith and your friends are just like, "Now calm down a little bit. We don't do that here. Right? We're, we're, you know, we do the church thing. We're Christians, but that's just a little bit, that's just a little bit too much. Can anybody relate with that? Not only feeling the resistance from God, or thinking that there's resistance from God, but also from the people around you. You know, it was interesting, though, last night I was reading back through this scripture, and something else came to me. And it's what Jesus said in verse 26. He said, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, but what I thought about was a story that's in the Old Testament in 1 Kings 17 about the prophet Elijah. Now, if you're familiar with that story, the prophet Elijah, the Lord speaks to the prophet Elijah to go to this, the same region where this woman is from, the same region. And the Lord tells him there's going to be a widow there that he's to go and ask her for bread. So we've got this connection, bread in that story, bread in this story. So the prophet Elijah goes, and he asks her for bread, and, and I won't go through the whole thing, but God does a miraculous thing through that in providing um, food for this widow and her son. And then a little while later, um, through the prophet Elijah, the son, he, he actually becomes sick, and he dies, and Elijah raises him, him from the dead. And so what I was thinking about when I read this particular verse is maybe God, maybe Jesus in this moment was aware or was knowing that the, the woman that he was talking to was aware of this story. And maybe he was trying to give her just this little bit of a hint, just this little glimmer of hope by saying that. Because we look at that statement and are like, like that's offensive and that's brutal. But what if Jesus was actually using it as a means to say remember the woman years and years and years ago from your same region that I provided for, that even though she also was a Gentile, I still took care of her, and I still raised her son. It's fascinating, that connection. And I believe that, because God does that for us oftentimes, that even in those moments of dryness, even in those times of feeling like we're not connecting with God, that he still gives us those little bits that we can hold on to, those little things that we can grab and press on and push through. And and so I see this story playing out as this girl coming with faith. I mean, she, she obviously knew who Jesus was to a certain extent, and she believed to a certain extent that he actually could heal the daughter. Otherwise, she wouldn't have come. So she had faith, and then she's met with silence, but that doesn't stop her. And so she pushes through that, and then Jesus does speak, and he says this line to her, which maybe, you know, we think it was actually something that would have offended her, which it maybe did to a certain degree, but it also might have given her that little bit of hope. And then she pushes through that and continues to cry, to continue to believe that Jesus can do a miracle in this situation, and then what happens at the end? Jesus says this, O oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Fresh faith comes when we're willing to push through and seek God regardless of how we feel. Regardless of what we see around us. When we stand on the promises that God has spoken in his word, and this is why it's so important to be people of the word, Because then we know what He's already spoken. We know what He's already promised. We know His truths. And regardless of what we see around us, regardless of what we feel, we can push through. And so fresh faith is produced when we push through and we see breakthrough on the other side. Because you can imagine her in this moment. Like, as I said, she came with faith. It's not that she didn't have faith to begin with. She had it. But imagine her faith after the fact. Imagine her faith after Jesus said it'll be done, and then she goes home and she sees that it is done. Imagine how excited and how fresh her faith would have been at that point. I think about the Samaritan woman in John 4, right, after she encounters Jesus and then she runs back to her hometown and tells everybody about Christ. I mean, this Canaanite woman probably did the same thing. How could you not after experiencing that, right? So what she came into in a cold way, and was met with resistance as she pushed through, it produced fresh faith in her life. And church, we need this. And we can get it. But so often we are just stopping so short. So short because we think that God actually isn't doing anything. He's not listening to our prayers. He's not working. Because we don't feel it. And I'm not against feelings by any means. I mean, things like joy and peace, fruit of the Spirit, these are things that we feel. And praise God for them, that we can use them as benchmarks, that we can use those as things that compel us and propel us in our walk with the Lord. But we can't allow feelings to get in the way of what he actually wants to do because of how we feel. Fresh faith. What if we had a church full of people who had fresh faith? We have a church full of people who have faith. Absolutely. We don't discount any of that at all. But regardless of how long you've been serving the Lord, faith can be fresh for you every single day. Every single day. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and join me. And As we prepare for going back into worship, this is an opportunity for us to actually practice this and walk this out. Because this, in a very practical sense, is a time in which, you know, we've just been through this whole service, you know, we're kind of used to the routine, we already have in our minds that, okay, you know, somebody preaches and we might close with a song, but we're already kind of checked out. We're already half, you know, out the door, getting ready for lunch or whatever the case is. And it's in these moments that we need to take hold of this practice to say, God, like I'm here, and I might not feel like engaging, but I'm going to do it because I know that you're going to meet me, and I know that you're going to do a work regardless. Can we stand together? And I encourage you as well, in a very practical sense, throughout this week... If you're thinking, oh, you know, I should spend some time in prayer with the Lord. But then something comes up and you just, ah, I just don't feel, I don't feel like it. Let this just be a challenge to say, do it anyway. Because, you know, we can find ease in so many other things in our day-to-day life. And I said this in the first service as well. You know, there's never been a time where we've had more resources of things that can help us in life, things that can help us grow, things that can help us improve our well-being and our behaviors and so on. There's so many resources that are out there. And I'm sure many could agree with me when I say, you know, sometimes it's easier to just pick up a book and begin to read it than it is to pick up the Word of God and read that. Or it's a lot easier to, you know, read an article or get some counsel from somebody or, or whatever the case is. It's easier to do that. Then go into the prayer closet and pray. And humanly speaking, that doesn't make any sense at all because prayer is actually very easy to do in the sense of like, you're at home, go into a room, shut the door behind you, you don't need anything. Like nothing at all. Because God is there. It's so easy in a practical sense. And yet, sometimes it's one of the hardest things for us to do. Because the enemy doesn't want us to do it, right? The enemy will try everything he can to keep us from praying. But if we would push through that, fresh faith is on the other side. So the worship team is going to play a couple songs. And I don't want this to just be, you know, your regular end of service. You know, we, we kind of half give ourselves into worship, but we're half out the door kind of thing. Let's practice this right now. Let's set our heart upon God, whether you feel like it or not, and believe in faith that he's working. And that looks differently for everybody, and that's totally fine. We all express ourselves in different ways. It's not about that. It's about what's in here. It's about our posture towards him, So Father, we just come before you today. And we are thankful that you are the same today. You're the same as you were yesterday. And you'll be the same tomorrow. And we're thankful, Lord, that your word is the same. It is just as true in this moment as it was when it was first compiled, when it was first written And your heart towards every one of us is the same. And Father, I pray that in this moment, if anyone has been going through a dry season, and even in this moment now, they're they're feeling the last thing I want to do is lift my hands and worship. I pray that you would just give them the nudge that they need, that little hint, that little glimpse of hope, like you did for the Canaanite woman. And they would engage with you and you would pour out your fresh faith upon them. We ask Holy Spirit that you would come right now. We know you're here already and we ask that you would manifest yourself as a response to our faith. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's make room in our hearts for you. Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to get the sermon as soon as it's released. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com. For live streams and other videos, check out the GT Moncton YouTube channel and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's going on. God bless.